platforms and tools don't really matter. What matters is that you are conscious and self-reflective of what do you need, what is your team, and how you work together. If you are defining those three, you can. The platform doesn't really matter after that. You can just pick a platform and getting to use that. You're listening to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now with your host, Jackie Koch, the podcast with all the tips and tools to help you succeed when all of a sudden you have the realization that you're the one in charge. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now. I'm your host, and we are talking to... Peter Benet, super excited to dig in with him. So Peter, I actually follow on LinkedIn. He shares so much incredible information about remote work and the the operations and the infrastructure you really need set up in order to do remote work. Obviously a topic that I talk a lot about on the show. And I was so excited when he agreed to come on the show so we could dig into it. And so today we really dig into some of the infrastructure you need in order to manage a team well and really set up your team for success in working in a remote business. So excited to have him on the show. He's calling in from across the pond. He is in, I think he said he was in, oh gosh, I can't remember where he said he was in, but you'll hear from him shortly. So without further ado. Hi, Peter. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited we were able to find time to to meet and actually do this thing. I know we've gone back and forth a few times and we're a few days, I think, apart in time <laughs> zone. So thank you so much for coming on. We are on a different continent, as you said. Appreciate of coming here. Appreciate of being invited. Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited to have you and the listeners are in for a treat. When I reach out to you on LinkedIn, it's because you post some really great stuff. And yeah, I'm so grateful that you do that. And I share it a lot. There's a lot of photos that I refer back to on my phone. And so I was like, you know what? I should just ask him to come on the show. And here we are. And so thank you for agreeing to come on. I know the listeners are in for a treat. That was a good call. I'm always happy to come. Let's start out. Can you tell a little bit about yourself? Maybe where you are located would be a really cool place to start. And also like what you do in your background would be awesome. Okay, so I do have two home bases, one in Italy in Verona and one in Budapest in uh, in Hungary. I'm originally from Hungary, by the way, but I live like pretty much everywhere, all over the place. Just a little bit of a background. I have an advertising background. So I was an advertising executive in London for many years and also in Budapest. And I started working remotely since 2014. So like almost like a decade now, so long ago. And... The way I started, again, I was working in ad agencies in London, right? So most of the freelancers and the contractors that were working in office with me at at that time started to not coming to the office. Again, that's 10 years ago. And they started to working from their laptops and stuff and moved to Thailand or Bali or the usual location for digital nomads. And what I just figured out, I can do that the same thing and I don't need to pay the rent of the London rental market which is insanely huge and high and I have a home in in Budapest anyway so I can work for first for US and UK companies as an advertising guy or something or marketing guy so that's what I did in 2014 the only difference what happened in terms of my career there is that when I was working in advertising I usually worked with Fortune 500 brands So I worked with big clients and big companies 
And when I started working remotely, I had to switch from working with, with big clients to small clients, growing companies, or fancier call them startups or scale-ups. And I started as a marketing executive and then quickly joined as a CMO for hire for marketing companies, for B2B companies. So I work mostly with tech companies, usually based in the UK or the US, teams of 10 to 50 to 100 and leading these marketing teams remotely. And fast forward to last year, I realized that I don't want to work for, for others, but I want to work with others. So I started my consulting business. Actually, I started it way before, but I emphasized it a little bit more as a growth and operations consultant for B2B tech companies who are also remote first. So what I do is a very simple thing as uh, according to my point of view, I come in, I lay out the foundations of remote first operations for companies. Usually I go in as a consultant or a, or a fractional person or executive, uh, maybe build out the teams or help them to communicate or collaborate better if they have an existing team. And I usually come in at the stage of around 20 to 50 people. And if they either reached a certain revenue, so product market fit is done and they already made some from some progress or some results, or they acquire some sort of funding, series A or even better, because as far as I realized, that's when things get really serious and they need to treat operations and growth really seriously. Before that stage, usually it's I wouldn't say it's chaos in hell, but that can be depend who you're talking to. It can right? most of the time. So yeah. they're just figuring out, but there, there should be a certain step or stage where they need to treat that thing really seriously and lay out some more flawless operations. And that's where I come in and I share a lot of content. That's how I get my clients. That's how I provide value to my people around me. So awesome. that's how we met. So yep. yeah. yeah. One of the things that I really agree with and I guess would love your point of view on. Sure. Especially because you grew up in the marketing side of things. For most startups think that growth and scale comes through sales and marketing. And you believe it's actually something a little bit different. It's more leadership and operations. And Talk a little bit more about how you came, like, is it, was there a moment that you were in a company as a marketing leader and you're like, marketing isn't the issue. It's the way we're working together or the way that we're set up is the issue. Like, when did you kind of make that shift? When I stopped having results, even after my best efforts at startups, it was, it was really clear path that I saw. So usually startups, and let's call it scale up. So Companies that I, I usually use the word scale-ups because startups sometimes are referred to companies that they haven't figured out the product market fit yet, or they are fluffy. We don't know if they will survive in the next one or two years, but scale-ups, they definitely survive in the next five to 10 years. They just need to figure out how to grow. And the problem with them usually is that A, they don't have a brand understanding. And what I mean by branded, again, I'm coming from advertising, but you find the same keywords for, for operational consultants as well. They don't have a mission. They, they don't have a, a clear company brand. They don't know how to, how they work together. They don't have an operational foundation as well. And if they don't have that, they can actually do 
any kind of scaling in marketing and sales as well. Because what is marketing and sales is pretty much replicating what your founders are doing already, how they sell the product to other customers and users. And if you as a founder or the, or the leader of the company haven't figured out how to templatize that thing of how you work with your customers in, in, in terms of sales, if you don't have a template or a, or a process or, or anything that can be copied or replicated by an SDR or a BDR that you are going to hire or outsource or whatever you do, if you don't have that, your SDRs and BDRs will suffer. And I've seen that many times. So most of the time, if you have a sales problem, let's hire two sales reps. That will fix the problem, right? No, it won't. Usually what happens is the sales reps are asking the questions. Okay, so how, you, how do you do that? How do you talk to customers right now? Because someone else did that before. Again, product market fit is already on the, in, in, in the, under the belt. Somehow you made sales. You just don't know how. You're just never written it down. And marketing is the same as well, by the way. So everyone treats marketing as like, you have your fancy hacks and gimmicks, but it's, it's time, invested value, and nothing comes in a really short period of time. You have to pump out content. You have to figure out who you are talking to. What are you doing? Why are you different on the market? And again, these are foundational pieces that enterprises and big companies already figured it out. That's why they, that's why they exist and scale-ups, they need to figure out in order to grow. So that's why I usually think that growth is, is more likely an operational issue for scale-ups. And once you fix that, yeah, you can have your fancy gimmicks and tricks and whatever. That's fine. And you can get creative with anything. But if you don't fix the foundations first, you pretty much can't use any fancy gimmicks that you want to use. I agree. Totally. And. So two things come to mind as you're talking. There's before remote work, it was a little bit easier because your salespeople would sit next to you. They would hear you on the call. They would see there was just some like stuff that was learned through osmosis, right? Sitting by that. But now, of course, building remote first teams, it requires more intention and design. It's design thinking too and how you want your business to work. So is there any like common trends or any advice to listeners of the show who are like, okay, he's talking about me, like I need to do this. What are some simple things or low hanging fruit that you tend to do first when you go into companies? You don't have to share all of your trade secrets. If there's a couple things that are just like the most basics that are super low hanging fruit, like what do you recommend they do first? Yeah, so quickly reflect on what you just said. First of all, the intention is really important. That's like the holy grail for remote first organizational structure. Second, and I kind of disagree a little bit on, on what you said, because even before remote first or like remote operations, we worked remotely before. So sometimes your SDRs were traveling salesmen around the globe. Right. Sometimes, and for, for example, if you're an enterprise client, for example, let's say a big four consulting company. Yes, you do have an office in New York, but you're also collaborating with your office in, in LA and you're also collaborating with your office in Los Angeles or, or Las Vegas or whatever, or to, with, a, with an office on another continent. How did you do that? Conference calls, emails. There was a kind of like, probably there was a, or there is a, a company hub, something like that. And they wing that, even though they had an office where people came in and worked from. And yes, there were 
the whole operational routines were more organic. Got used to the office culture or the company culture through like an osmosis or something. So it was ser- seriously organic. So when I come in, usually one of the first things that I do is just to copy paste those methods that worked in the office. I know it sounds lame, but it works and it worked before. It will work again. One thing is to set up a company hub if they don't have. That's like the very first thing. You have no idea how many companies of scale-ups and startups still use Google Drive, main source of truth. All of my clients still. <laughs> so, Like insane. When you say company hub, describe to listeners what that is. Okay, so you, according to Peter Drucker, you either create intellectual property or sell intellectual property, right? So when you are creating intellectual property, it means that you are creating knowledge. If you, either if you are in a service business or product or whatever it is, you are creating, and in bare bones, it means that you create files. No, seriously. Sorry, it's like, so I'm, I'm, I'm talking about super basic stuff, by the way. I love it. Which is super basic to me, but I just figured out that it's not really super basic for others. It's not. So when you are creating files, you want to collaborate on those files, right? And you want to store those files. That's like the basics of how we work together currently. And a file it, could be like a Google Doc or a Google It's, it's a document. Yes. It's a spreadsheet. I don't care what it is, but it's like a thing which you can collaborate on or you can create and it's like electronic and whatever. It's in the cloud. And when you do internet work, it's really hard to A, find the relevant file, B, collaborate at the same time by not killing each other's work, three, pretty much summarizing and learning what is the next step from collaboration, right? And the company hub helps you to A, store the files that you're working on, pretty much your work, in a very precise manner, which is easy to find, easy to open, easy to host, it's available regardless where your people are in terms of location or time. And it's second, it's easy to collaborate. So it can be Google Docs, by the way, I don't really care, but the hosting shouldn't be on files because it's really hard to find stuff. And you also maintain some practices that you implement after the collaboration. What is the next step? Why are we collaborating on this document at all? What is the goal? What is the next step? What is the overall journey that we are taking by doing this time with this type of work? And usually companies don't think that through. And what they usually do is just a simple, okay, let's host everything we have on a Google Drive. And that's when you end up with things like chat messages like 10 times a day. Okay, so where is the file? Where can I find the file? Can you send me the file? Oh, sorry, I don't have authority to open this file. Can you give me access? Thank you. So these kind of friction slack communications end up, I, I, I haven't seen any stats, by the way, but I can guess that it's like at least 10% of your total workflows on a day. Right. So unproductive. So unproductive. Sometimes people have meetings on how to collaborate on a file and where to find the file. This is like insane. You, I know. That, like seriously. I'm laughing because I know I do it. I'm, I'm working with these people all day long. It drives me insane. And just by creating a very precise, structured system of how they work with a company hub and just creating like 10 
starting point, 10 processes on how do we do meetings, one. How do we uh, collaborate on a file? What is our product, service, whatever journey? What is the company's mission? This is written, by the way. It's not like some fluffy stuff that you do on a brainstorming meeting. It's a written thing. How do we manage a project? These kind of stuff. How do we use the communication tools that we have? Do we use Slack? Do we use email? Do we use Zoom? What are we using those tools for? Because people are doing email stuff on Slack, which is not searchable. And people are doing chats on emails, which ends up like 200 emails a day. And so that's the, these kind of policies. And once you do that, it's like a month of work, by the way. But that's where I help, by the way. Once you do that, everyone becomes so much productive, so much clean. Okay, so I have a few questions yeah, about Sorry. This. No, I love this because I, I think it, it's basic. It seems like a no-brainer basic to us, but... To your point, yes. like it's not, it's not being adopted. It's not being used. And I kind of want to hammer home why this, because I do think just doing this well could change your whole business. So what is an example? And I know you shared a name of a company hub that you like, like I've used Atlassian before Confluence. I don't love them. What are some of the different platforms that you've seen work very well? And do you have a preferred one? I don't, sorry. It depends on the team and it depends on what industry they are playing in, how many people they have. That's like, that's one of the most crucial number because if you have 10 people, I wouldn't recommend it, but you can make Google work for you if you structure it really well. But if you have 50 people, all hell will lose if you are hosting everything on Google. And I'm not too much against Google anyway, but whatever. It's just not a great, it, it, it's, there's no way to make something front and center. Like a, it's not a good reference. Yes. Also, it comes with everything that you buy on a Google suit, obviously, right? And that's why people are using and usually what is free is not really great, whatever. It depends on the team. So usually developer, you mentioned Confluence, for example, if the team is really developer heavy and you are, and they are developing a, a really developer heavy product, but usually they are. I wouldn't say fine, but they can use Confluence really well because that's where they manage the projects anyway. So that's that. And the, but if you are more in the service or creative or something like the industry, I would totally as down recommend Almanac or even Notion. Sometimes it depends. There are platforms and tools don't really matter. What matters is that you are conscious and self-reflective of what do you need. What is your team and how you work together? If you are defining those three, you can. The platform doesn't really matter after that. You can just pick a platform and getting to use that. So how do you recommend crafting some of those things? If you do have a team, right? Like I've tried to implement these at previous startups and me as the HR lady, just deciding how we're doing work together and telling you doesn't often work. Like it, the team doesn't adopt it. They're not bought into it. It's like we put all this work into defining it, but then it doesn't matter. So who should own creating what these processes are at the business? Like when you go in and work with teams, who do you do that with? Who do you collaborate with? In most cases, people think it's a founder or the leader or the C-level executive of the company, which is true in a way that they should be the black bearer who are running in front of the of the team and that they should lead all of the implementations of these of these processes or manuals or guides but it should start with the team again it starts how many people you have 
what kind of people you have. It's totally different crafting processes for HR people. Then it's uh, totally different for crafting processes for developers. And it's totally different for marketers and so on. Figure out how many people and what kind of people you have. Ask them how they prefer to work. Regardless, ignore the fact how they are working now. It doesn't matter now. But how they would prefer to be working on the long run. And the more you involve these people into the process of craftsmanship, the more likely those processes will get implemented because they were on board on the you know very first step. That's how you good decisions getting made, by the way. You onboard everyone who is involved in the decision, either by the decision maker or by those who are, well, suffering the decision or following the decision and the next steps. The way I do it is usually ask everyone. There are limitations to that, obviously, because the larger the team, the more likely you need the process of asking. Speaking of like, I don't know, survey or some tricks that you can do, but at least involve them to have a voice. If you have a smaller team, 20, 30 people, I wouldn't say that's, that's easier, but it's an easy process compared to like 200. Yeah. So once the Knowledge Hub is up and running, who typically owns keeping it up to date? Is it like an executive assistant? Is it a, a chief of staff? Who typically does that? A really good question. And I'm so sorry that I don't have fixed answers for you. That's totally fine. I'm just wanting listeners to get an idea of how they could set it up and just think of these things. Sure, sure. But it's, again, it's typically varies by companies. In some remote first companies, there, there is a emerging title of head of remote, which is a mixture of either a business manager and an HR manager, um, or a business manager and a marketing manager. Or, uh, and if they are an HR manager, they usually would be the finance and just operational stuff as well. So they are kind of like a new way of CEO thingy. Sometimes it's a simple business manager who owns everything and makes sure that, that everything is up and running. Sometimes it's the chief of staff, but that can be limited because there are some, for example, the marketing team or development team, CTO team. You need to figure out how to delegate some sort of stuff to, to your underlings, for example, the CTO or the CMO. So I would say it doesn't matter who is the person, but there has to be a person. That's the most important part. So if everyone is owning your knowledge hub, it means that no one is owning the knowledge hub. No one is responsible. So nominate someone who is responsible of maintaining it and probably your best guess would be a person who is already in a bridge position, like negotiating between teams, whatever it is, it can be. That's why HR, by the way, is a good choice because they are, they affect every team within the company, but make sure that person is precise, structured and operational mindset is, is given for them because otherwise there is nothing wrong with the well fought through knowledge center, which turns into a chaos again. And, and again, no one finds anything and can't collaborate anything again. You're wasting your time. Totally, totally. So then when you're a small team, so let's say listeners are growing a team for the first time, building a remote team first, there's three of them. Like setting this kind of stuff up early seems unnecessary, but it's got to be so much easier, right? To do it to make these decisions when you're small so that you have it built out when you grow? Or what do you recommend to those folks? Oh, that's, that's the easiest part. The hardest part, if you already have 
50 to 200 or even more people sitting in the office and you had to be or want to be remote in a way, let's say hybrid or whatever. That's harder because you already have a set of huge piles of processes that you do and you need to start documenting those in, in a written manner. And that's like super hard and it takes so much time. And usually that's when consultants like me come in and then help you to do that. For small teams, it's super easy. It's uh, you just do what you do anyway and hit the record button on the meetings and, and document the, the way that you work together and fixing mission and stuff. One thing that I want to, because that would be a great tip for those who are building this, treat seriously the habit itself of doing it like writing things down and recording things down and archiving stuff and whatever. But don't treat seriously what you're writing down. It would really matter because you are a startup, you are free people. I wouldn't say I don't want to kill your dreams, but most likely you won't even make as a company for the next two years because most startups fails and it fail anyway, right? So don't treat everything super seriously, but treat super seriously the habit that you are doing because that will help you on the long run. Because, for example, let's say you're crafting your company. Okay, you, are, you have a new company, you have three people. You have a new company's mission. You figured out your product roadmap for the next, I don't know, half a year. You already set up a structure of what you do and some processes and stuff like that. And the market hits. And there is a competitor or you hire someone else and it doesn't turn out really well. And you need to change everything, the whole mission, the whole product room, everything. So make sure that you're flexible and adaptable uh, enough, right? But treat seriously the fact that you need to document everything because that can be also useful. Yeah, totally. Okay, so we went hard on the knowledge hub. Is there any other things or company hub? Is there any other things that are pretty low-hanging fruit, easy to kind of shore up to help the team work b better together? Yeah, usually the company hub is, is, is coming first because that's like a thing that people can imagine and grasp for, right? And the other stuff are really just habits, practices, and how you work together with others. And that's where, for example, myself, I wouldn't say coaching, I don't like the word coaching, but like helping leaders to work a little more efficiently when they are working remotely with their people. So these are leadership habits and leadership practices. And the problem with that usually is that most of the how you lead a team or these like fancy titles of, of Forbes articles, how you lead a team, usually the knowledge comes from the 50s or the 60s. So these are like older style leadership practices. Because why? Because it, it still works in most cases for enterprise companies. So these are practices that are used and, and implemented and followed through in enterprise or big companies. And I know that everyone thinks that the startup guy is a 20 something year old junior dropped out from Stanford, but usually it's not the case. Usually it's 40, 35. I wouldn't say older youth, I'm also 41, but like people who have an experience, they saw a problem in an enterprise where they worked for, and they trying to solve the problem. They try to solve the problem first in-house, by the way, usually that's what happens. And things were super slow. So they started their own company. 
And yes, they are good on business. They are good on solving the problems. They get all the skills, but most of the leadership practices that they have are coming from big companies. And usually these are not applicable in a startup environment. You have to be flexible. You have to design everything in a modular sense, meaning that you have to rely more on external sources, outsiders, freelancers, agencies, whatever, because you can scale up and down really well and really quickly, depending on the market and your situation. Third, you have to be an active listener. That's super important. So you cannot really, you cannot delegate anything to your staff without first listening to what they have to say. You need to be a good writer. That's also another super important fact, because if you are, if you want to work remotely or operate a company remotely, you have to be better writer than a talker because talk is not really something that you can search or look back or learn from. Usually it's writing. You have to write down the shit. Pretty much that's it. It's have the document ready, write it down what you need, read concise, readable. Um, and people, uh, will follow the read, the, the written material because it's, you know, it's unbiased, predictable, it's there, it's written. Um, you cannot really over, overhear stuff and whatever. There is no office. Let's face it. There are no water cooler conversations anymore. I'm not 100% sure that there were uh, a thing before then, by the way, but or if they were useful anyway, the chit chat that way of thinking uh, in an office, but in remote, you don't have that. So you cannot have a background information and stuff like that. You have to be super proactive and intentional on writing things down because that's how people will understand and follow through processes and delegation, whatever. Just a quick example on that. Sorry to rant, but like I had a meeting a week ago or two with one of my clients. I won't mention the name, but we had an issue on, there was a process that they tried to follow and the marketing team within the marketing team. And I understood what was the process because I talked to the CEO or the founder and I asked that, okay, but this dude, the CMO or whatever they have in, in the company, I also asked what the process from him. And I heard a totally different story that you just said to me, the CEO and the CEO told me also for the founder. But I explained to him like twice, but how, dude, how did you explain that on a zoom call twice? Okay. So this is the problem. You haven't wrote down anything. Everything was like overheard or also people are imagine the situation when the CEO explains stuff to you. Usually what happens is that they talk for half an hour and without interruption. And even if that talk is the most interesting TED talk that you ever hear in your life, which it's not, obviously, after five minutes, you tune out. And I can guarantee, because it's remote work and it's an online meeting, after five minutes, I can guarantee that you're browsing the internet and look up on the screen. Yeah, yeah, of course, I get it. Thank you. Cool. Yeah. Right? And nothing gets delivered. And even if they do listen... They might not understand, but they're not going to ask. They're not going to tell the CEO that they don't understand. <laughs> and this, one is a, this was a really open company. So people actually ask questions, which is, by the way, this is also like a rarity, right? But yeah, like if you don't write down what you want, 
people will tune out. They overhear things. They imagine things around that. And that's how we are. But you can't, what's written down, it exists and it cannot be over exaggerated, overheard or over commented, whatever. It's there. It's like, it's the single source of truth. It's written down. Check the writing, check the, I wrote it down to you in an email. That would be so much better. And I'm sure that uh, the gap between the two understandings would be uh, a shorter gap. Yep, totally. Or even just ri- like, you can say it to the person who can't have a conversation about it, but recap it in an email. <laughs> yes. And, uh, right? yes. And that's where the... Totally. That's where being good at writing comes in. And I, I struggle because some of the folks that I work with are like, to your point, the CEOs and founders are typically older generations that grew up working in a different way. Right. And so they will, I hear a lot. If I did that to my CEO back then, or if I would have asked my CEO to, to do this back then, they would have laughed at me or. That's just not how I communicate. My employees need to accommodate to me. And I just think that is, I would love your opinions on that. Like, do you hear that from people? Or I would imagine if you're working with a lot more remote first companies, maybe you don't get that as much as I do, but I just think it's a cop out and it's an excuse to, to not change your habits. And I, it really frustrates me when I hear that, to be honest. Ooh, I'm not sure that I can be comforting to you, but I'm a marketer. So I'm a by heart, but I wouldn't say by trade now, but like my background is, and I'm really careful with the target group that I'm working with. And that's why usually I don't have these conversations because usually the people who I'm working with are people who are either already remote first anyway, or they did their learning in a way or to some extent that they do understand what needs to be done. They just still people mess up things that's fine they just don't know how to actually implement the learnings that they learned in their operations however so i think there is a problem with bashing i wouldn't say older generation people sorry i don't I'm not, no that's not I, I get it that's and i'm glad you clarified that but we have to understand i think that's like one of the most important message for these people is that some companies like most companies let's say most companies who became remote in the last two years, they became remote because of the pandemic. And the way these leaders led their teams through through this transition, they did that because they saw everything with the crisis Google zone. So it was a crisis for them. And when you are in a crisis mode, you can't really make, I'm going to say good decisions, but you're not 100% sane because you're reacting to things, right? And Creating a new operational manual for your team, which is a remote first company team, it requires proactivity. And again, if you are, if you are in a crisis situation, you are not, that's like by definition, not proactive. So I do understand those who are and who were suffering during this transition because they didn't want to do that. The, now the problem is now is that people, the genie is out of the bottle and people got used to working remotely. And they, I, I, I hate to break down to anyone, but they break it down to, down to anyone, but they love it. And they won't go back to the office most of the time. So you either need, pandemic is over, kind of. So now you can have the time and the luxury, shall we say, 
to be proactive and learn these things. Now, for example, in your example, you said that if my CEO said that to me like 10 years ago, yeah, 10 years ago, there was no internet. There was, but like, it was a totally different thing, right? Past experiences doesn't really matter in this situation, I think. But the verb is evolving, so you need to catch up. Yeah. Otherwise, you will be out of business and be a thing to do, right? So Totally agree. Totally agree. I'm sure we didn't even scratch the surface about how to set up remote work well, but I want to make sure, I guess we should have you back on the show someday to dig into things maybe a little bit more niche. But as I kind of start to wrap up, can you just share how, if somebody's listening to the show, maybe describe how they can follow you or how they can learn more about working with you? would love to, to give yourself a little love and get some folks on some of your LinkedIn posts, some eyes on those. Thank you. And again, I love talking with you. That was really great questions. And that was a really great call, really great talk. And I hope I provided some value to the listeners. So if you want to learn more, it's kind of like easy, anywhere.consulting. That's my company. And my name is Peter, B for B, E for E, N for N, E for E, and I for I. Binii on LinkedIn, a unique name. So you probably won't find anyone else with that name. All right. I'm not sure. I don't think there was. I, I searched it and yeah, you were the only one who came up. Yeah. And I post daily. I do have a, a resource hub, which I want to highlight. And I think that will be a really great value for those who are trying or want to learn more about remote operations. It's the Anywhere Hub. Uh, you can find it on my anywhere.consulting website. I provide like loads of resources for free operational manuals, process templates. These are templates that you can download and use ready to use, tailored to your company or your team from day zero. So, awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. And we'll make sure we link everything in the show notes too. They can go back and, and just click away. But Peter, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing so much of your knowledge and, and sharing everything that you do. And so generously, I know it's going to definitely help businesses thrive and help the people like us who are trying to implement these things and and help companies make that transition. So I'm really grateful for that. So thanks so much for coming. I'm happy to come again. Thank you for inviting me. And just one other note that I want to share. It's not just about business, it's about the people. If you change or implement better processes for a remote first company, it means that the people who are working with you will be more, more free, more independent and, and more empowered. So it's not just for business value. It's also for, for some people value as well. We can live better lives. Exactly. There's very few, man- I think the majority of managers want to be good managers and want to create great places for their teams to work. So, you know, this stuff matters in that regards for sure. It does. Awesome. Thanks listeners Thank for tuning in and we'll catch you next time. Are you ready to hire a recruiter to help you in your business? Exciting news for you. That can be me and my team. And we believe that the recruiting industry is due for a major upgrade in its recruiting and fee structures. So we have a completely different model than other recruiters out there. We have transparent pricing and transparent fees. Go check out peopleprinciples.co forward slash recruiting for how you can partner with us and let us do the hiring for you.